Hi there, this is Gary, and I would just like to say before we start this Missile for the Masses, if you haven't read the comic books uh, that we're going to discuss on this, uh, Transformers number 3, G.I. Joe 302, and Duke number 1, all brought to you by Skybound Entertainment through Image Comics, if you don't want to be spoiled, you probably want to turn this off and read them. Uh, this goes very quickly into spoiler territory. Um, I will say that initial impressions for me and my guest, Jason, uh, were positive overall. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're wondering, you know, should you be picking up G.I. Joe comic books? If you're listening to this podcast, you're already probably picking up G.I. Joe and Energon Universe comics published by Skybound Entertainment. So with that all the way, I uh, just wanted to that put that disclaimer out there. And now, let's get started. And that is the sound of yet another missile for the masses. This is the Chaplain Sisters Motor Pod, and this is missile number 58, where we're going over all of the Skybound Energon Universe and G.I. Joe comics from December of 2023. And with me on this journey is Jason from Order of Battle Pod. Jason, how are you doing today? I am doing well. How are you, Gary? I'm glad I'm here. Ah, I'm doing pretty good. A little tired uh, doing it trying to do uh, something different, doing a little more shows than normal than recently. So hopefully uh, see how long I can keep this up. Well, I appreciate it because, you know, my podcast feed burns through fast and more of you is always a good thing. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, for those that don't know, uh, the Order of Battle Pod, Jason hosts with his friend Joel. Uh, they do a lot of great conversations with the community, with creators, both current, you know, contemporary and also vintage creators. Uh, I really enjoyed your latest one from Assembly Required with the guy who created Colt Slither and Claymore. That was a really good guy. Yeah, Michael Hill is amazing. Uh, what a fun conversationalist. And hopefully we'll see him at the next couple shows. Yeah, that'd be, uh, that'd be good. I hope that when I finally get out to some of the bigger shows, the bigger Joe shows, I'll be able to meet him as well. You know, Joe Fest is only six months away. Are you going to make it? I'm trying to. That's the plan. Excellent. Excellent. Haven't we'll pulled, be there. Haven't pulled the trigger on the budget yet, but uh, it is on my, it is penciled in on the calendar. So looking forward to going out again anywhere in the Northeast this year. Probably not this year. I'm trying to add in the West Coast because I've never taken A out there. And I really, really want to return to Heroes Con, which as a comic book guy, I can't speak highly enough about Heroes Con. I think you'd love it, but it is the weekend after Joe Fest. So that's a back-to-back heavy hit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can I can hear I hear that. All right, well, let's get started. Um, we're going to talk first. We're going to go over Transformers number three from Skybound. So Transformers 3 is the writer-artist Daniel Warren Johnson. Colorist is Mike Spicer. 
The letterer is Russ Wooten. And just, you know, there's plenty of different colors. So the main cover was also done by Daniel Warren Johnson and Mike Spicer as well. Uh, the main cover is Soundwave with, I want to say, Rumble and Ravage uh, fighting Optimus Prime. So what did you think of the cover, Jason? How do you, how did you like it so far? I mean, I think the cover's great. The The artwork is is dynamic and fun. And who doesn't have Soundwave as at least their top five, if not their favorite, you know? And, you know, sorry, I, 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 <laughs> I apologize. I phased right there, so. No, it's, it's cool. You know, Soundwave is an iconic Transformer. He is one of the core group of Decepticons. And... Obviously, his cassettes of Rumble and Ravage, you know, they're equally iconic. They're almost like extensions of Soundwave. And obviously, Optimus Prime is, you know, he's the main guy. It's Prime. Yeah, it's funny that neither Rumble nor Ravage uh, really do anything or even in the book this issue. Correct. Yeah. And Soundwave really doesn't do much. He only has about three panels. So yeah, speaking. <laughs> Yeah, talking head. But I don't think that's out of context for uh, Soundwave uh, from my limited experience with Transformers. So, yeah, it is a good cover. It Obviously, it's in my pull box, but this is a cover that would get me to pull it off the rack. I think it is uh, dynamic, and you want to know, you know what those two are fighting about. We'll go over the plot. I'll do a quick summary of the plot. So, Carly... Uh, a friend of Spike's is at Sparkplug's, Spike's dad's home, where Sparkplug tells Carly how her dad died by being stomped on by a Decepticon. While that's going on, in bursts Laserbeak, shortly followed by Cliffjumper. Sparkplug tries to fight both of them off using a variety of firearms, using a shotgun to Cliffjumper's head, but Sparkplug does manage to get Carly out of there in a police guard that looks suspiciously like Prowl. Meanwhile, back at the Ark, Starscream is trying to assert control over the situation and the Decepticons, telling Soundwave not to utter Megatron's name, and then sends Skywarp, sipping on an Energon soft drink, to assist Laserbeak in dealing with Cliffjumper. Sparkplug gets to a bar where a militia has formed up, and Cliffjumper shows up to calm Sparkplug, only to get shot again by Sparkplug using a saw. Skywarp shows up, starting to kick the humans around and is ready to fire a shot at Cliffjumper, now guarded slash protected by Carly. He's ready to lay waste when Optimus Prime shows up and rams him in truck mode. He's brought Spike and lets him out as he transforms to handle Skywarp. They fight, and I want to, this will be one of my uh, brighter points. Uh, he did use a cool use of teleportation to send his hand and grab Optimus from behind to topple him. And then Optimus gains the upper hand and is ready to finish Skywarp by creating the energy axe when the bartender launches an RPG which negates his right arm, his axe arm. Skywarp seizes his opportunity and Spike runs to help. Sparkplug tells everyone to pour it on and Spike is hit by friendly fire and Sparkplug finally sees him and stops their engagement. Optimus returns to the offensive and detaches his incapacitated arm 
and uses it as a flail to beat Skywarp. It ends with Optimus gathering Spike and telling Sparkplug, in tears, to come with him as he saves Spike. That's the quick plot in a nutshell. It's, it, it's a lot of things happening in a very short period of time. And do you have any initial thoughts going on, Jason, on this book? The new Transformer series, if I was a teenager, I would be falling all over myself to get to the shop to get this. It is so brutal and not at all a kid's book. As an adult, I'm enjoying it, but Jesus, it's brutal. Yeah, this has been a much... I don't even want to call it an adult tale. like, But yeah, like you said, it is very hard PG-13. It is very... Um, it might be soft R with as much like full on just murder that happens in the, in three issues, right? It's not even, it's not even over the course of years. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's rough. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of named or, you know, named, well, all the transformers are pretty much named. There's no army builder transformers, at least not my experience, but yeah, you know, uh, Johnson is not taking any prisoners at all with what he's doing. Um, it's really cool. Yeah, it's it's you don't know where the story is going next. Uh, the characters act like the characters. Uh, I feel Optimus Prime is Optimus Prime. He sounds, you know, I hear his voice. I hear Peter Cullen's voice. You know, absolutely. Do, do, and he's acting like that prime that I know the most from the cartoon. The, uh, but like the Decepticons are just evil. And, and the yeah. humans are acting like, you know, the, they don't, they're actually acting like what I expect, like a mob would act like. Starscream reminds me a lot more of Transformers animated Starscream than he does of Sunbow or Marvel Starscream. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that that cartoon, but Absolutely it's very, not. it's very cartoony, and the first couple episodes are a little jarring because of it, but it becomes extremely good, and Starscream is unhinged. That's throughout all of it. So basically, and, uh, crank the knob to eleven. Yeah, well, I think that was crank the knob to eight. This is crank the knob to eleven. Uh, he's going ham in the first two issues and now he sends Skywarp, which is beautiful to see another seeker come into play. The teleporting hands is great. It's funny because I, I die on the hill of, we need to make these things accessible for kids, but I am enjoying this quite a bit. And I think of that hill transformers has done a good job of keeping kids involved so it can afford an adult comic. And this is, this is it. Yeah, this is um, very well, very balancing that uh, that fine line between, you know, toy property and adult comic. Uh, before we started the recording, uh, listeners, uh, I was telling Jason, we need to be we're, we've kind of blurred our highs and lows. Well, mostly our highs. So our, our yo's and our nose. Yes, our yo's and our nose. So um, I'll start off with one of my yo's for this comic, uh, which we'll try to do a couple quick each. I got to say that while the art isn't like, sometimes it's very indie style. I'll leave it at that. Johnson has kept the art fun and frenetic. 
So everything is moving. There's obviously there's a lot happening, but nothing feels plotting at any point in this book. It's I'm turning the page to get to the next scene. Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, the only static shot in the whole book is the armed group of friends in the bar. That's the only straight on shot in the whole book. And even that feels dynamic because the opening of the door and them standing there loaded for bear. And there's, there are no other straight on shots in this. It's crazy. I think for me, a, 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 a big yo is a little on the darker side. Um, <laughs> when they fire at sky warp and he just giggles and says that it tickles. And then when he, he sees Carly trying to protect cliff jumper laughs about it. And it was like, all right, cool. And is going to just point blank evaporate her while shooting cliff jumper. Those were both moments that I personally giggled and I was like, all right, there's a problem. (laughs) And, and one thing I got to like, um, is like to go with that sky warp is like how much screen time, like my real first introduction to transformers was when IDW did the shared shared universe and Skywarp joined the Joe team. So I really enjoying with how much characterization I've gotten out of this, you know, this seeker that really didn't get a lot of characterization from my experience. So seeing Skywarp in a more, much more, you know, supporting leading role, uh, focused role, I'm really enjoying seeing something like that rather than, you know, concentrating always on the, uh, the the usual the usual suspects he's not just a mimic of starscream or just a lackey of starscream he has his own personality his own way of doing things it's i think this book is really well written written and drawn but it's by it's by a like you know uh bathed in the blood transformer guy so it makes sense that he's going all out with his love of Transformers in this. Yeah. I actually want to say, you know, go to another one of my yo's is I really like the way Johnson and the letterer Russ Wooten are working well together. I think, you know, the lettering on this is very, very old school where he changes the lettering balloons between, you know, humans in Transformers, but also the way that, you know, Johnson has made sure that the art has room for those word balloons. You know, each one of his panels is, you know, framed in, in a great way. So everything is, you know, logical and it's easy to read. It's very easy to read. And I agree with you. I love all of the sound effects and, every sound effect has its own lettering its own design so no three booms look alike the each of the machine guns and the and the rifles and the handguns all sound different Um, everything fits what's happening and and it really adds to it there are even panels that as we're talking i flip back through i didn't even consciously recognize that there was a sound effect lettering on the page, but I heard the effect. You know what I mean? No, abs- uh, absolutely. I think uh, sound effects on comics 
on a lot of books has have you know subsided you know gone away um allowing just the image to you make the you know you see the image of the cannon or the laser gun going off oh you're supposed to be making that flip flip noise or the you know the pew pew sound effects in comics is such a fun you know uh, what how would you call it uh i don't want to say vintage but uh you know a renaissance of sound effects um you know, is well, it's welcome. I think a renaissance, I think a renaissance is a great term for it because for a while it did go out of style and I'm enjoying it. It's fantastic. I think this team is, is really well put together and I'm not personally, I'm not familiar with Mike Spicer as a, as a colorist, but I'm enjoying the colors here. I'm enjoying when the background drops out. It's really good. I mean, this is a lot of yo's. We haven't gotten to any no's yet. Um, yeah, you know, one of the things for me, a good yo is going back to again, how dynamic the art is, is that there is physics to these weapons, even when they're hitting like cliff jumper, every time he gets hit, he's going down, he's, he's moving with being hit, even though he doesn't seem to be taking damage. Um, you know, it, it, everything here is really, really well done. I'm not, I'm struggling to be critical, I guess, because I'm having fun with the book. Yeah. And that's, that's a good thing. And, but we do have to think of something, you know, even if it's a stretch, you know, we have to come up with a no on the book. So right, like I said, you know, picking nits, it's the only, the, the biggest one was like when Sparkplug took the sawed off shotgun to Cliff Jumper's head and pulled the trigger I was like, where's the ricochet from, from all those beads from the, from the shotgun shell going anywhere. And it was just like that, that had to hit somebody. Sure. And I just mentioned the, the physics and I guess you're showing how like, yeah, I, I might've glossed over a thing or two. I, I suppose that's true, but you know, like in those shotgun uh, beads don't fly all over a place in a live action movie either. So I can't fault it too much. I'm um, shooting at Transformers most of the time in a live action movie. That's, that's, that's fair. I think um, it's a really weird no for me, but it's a no that there's a preview to Cobra Commander number one in the back because I don't want to see the preview. I don't want to read it. And so I get through with the letters page and I'm quickly shutting the book so that I don't read it because cover commander number one's coming out in a couple of weeks. Yeah. That's something. Yeah. That's, that is nice about this new, you know, with image and with this whole new editorial team is I do not want to read the previews. It's just like, Oh, okay. Issue number three is going to be on time. That's all I care about. What day is it coming Absolutely. at the comic shop? I just want to be there on that Wednesday. You know, I've mostly gotten out of being a Wednesday warrior. So, but when GI Joe hits the shelf and even to the, a little bit of extent transformers, cause it's so fun. It's like, I want to be there that day. Yeah. One of the things I like with this, the way they've written this is that the humans are just like good, bad, whatever they're aliens. There are, they're here and we need to protect ourselves. They're indiscriminate and they're scared and they're wild acting. It's very fun. I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm struggling with a no here for this book, which is why I came no. up with a softball of the previews because I'm with you. I'm not a Wednesday warrior anymore. 
uh, and being a remote worker for eight years has destroyed that ability to be there every week. When I worked in an office, it was it was a joy to skip out of work for lunch to to hit the shop every single Wednesday without fail. But now I got to drive across town for it, so I'm more like a once a month <laughs> warrior. Uh, this has been getting me to like roll out on a Saturday real quick to make sure like oh is Void Rivals out oh is GI Joe is Transformers now Duke. Um, I'm I'm happy. I'm excited. I'm I'm feeling joy again um, because I'm not reading a ton of floppies anymore. So this has me back in that floppy mode, and it's kind of getting me interested in like what else can I put in my box, which is probably dangerous. <laughs> That's how they get you. So, well, I I think I'm good on Transformers number three. Are you? Do you you got anything left in the tank? Well, you probably, because we do need to move uh, on. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I don't have a lot in the tank. Um, you know, the, the climax with spike was kind of, I mean, we all see it coming. So it's, it happens. It's very dramatic on the page. It's very rough on the page, but yeah, we knew it was happening four or five pages before that. But Optimus using his own arm as a bludgeon was once again like, where the hell are you going, uh, Daniel? Like, what are we doing here with this kid's book? Um, so, no, I, I think I think that's all I got left for Transformers if we want to move to Duke. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, yeah, it was like overall, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to continuing reading Transformers um, and building up excitement. It's almost got me. It's almost got me buying transformers figures i was in walmart and they had leftovers of the two packs from christmas i was eyeing them so you've never been a transformer guy when i was a kid i had a couple and you know i watched the cartoon religiously but i grew out of it okay so this is welcome back kata for you a, a little bit but like when it was with dreamwave and the first run with idw before the merge before they merged the universes nah, it was just like oh yeah it's cool I'm glad people have their Transformers. <laughs> I got my G.I. Joe. They have Fair their Transformers. Enough. I'm good. But now that they're playing all in the I'm, same camp, well, of course, now I got to read it all. Sure, of course. And and so far, I mean, you know, they may crap the bed later, but right now they're they're firing on all cylinders, and I'm very excited for it. Um, Void Rivals was very much like, oh, this is neat. But Transformers has been like, okay, we're in the meat. Yeah, yeah. Transformers has been full throttle. Since we're still talking about Transformers, instead of moving to Duke, <laughs> in issue two of Transformers, we see Duke. It's our first appearance of G.I. Joe, tops, you know, first shirt, Duke, and it's in Transformers number two. And Duke number one picks up weeks after that, days after that, not long after. So you're doing a segue? I, I mean, I'm trying because otherwise we're just going to keep uh, talking about Transformers. <laughs> On the G.I. Joe podcast. So. Yes. Now back to G.I. Joe. Duke number one. Josh Williamson is the writer. Tom Riley is the artist in the interiors and also did the cover A. And we have Jordi Bellier for the colorist. And again, Russ Wooten as the letterer. And also 
Sean Makowitz and Jonathan Manning, and I probably screwed up Makowitz because my Polish mother is going to be yelling at me. It's probably Makowitz or something like that are the editors and they're also the editors on the transformers book as well. So obviously there's going to be good oversight for making sure continuity is going there. I really think that, you know, skybound's editorial team, they really do a fantastic job uh, with what they do. I've always been, I've been reading skybound since the walking dead, invincible, you know, oblivion song. So these Sean Makowitz has been around for a long time with skybound. So Obviously, he's doing something right if he's still there after all these years. Uh, so, quick plot synopsis. Uh, Duke, number one, opens with a flashback introduction of Duke being a career soldier that is the best and refuses to take a promotion that would take him off the battlefield. Hawk is debriefing him, probably be about Transformers number two, when Duke talks about the event of Transformers number two, where he encountered Scarscream who swatted his pilot, Tyler Frost, like a bug, which Hawk deflects much to Duke's anger and contempt. We move forward six months to where in DC, Duke is meeting up with a group of people who at least claim to have seen aliens, UFO and Mind Better books are in the car. I did like that. Uh, where he meets up with Dr. Adele Burkhardt. So Duke and Burkhardt a talk. Burkhardt alludes to Energon. And there's a picture of the mass device from the first cartoon miniseries, which brings us to Duke infiltrating Mars Industries. Uh, we open up to kind of like a double page flow spread, not a full page spread, but it's like it comes across both pages. And in that is the Mars factory where we see claws, snake armor, his tanks and fangs. His discovery is spotted by Mercer, which leads them to fight and Duke ends up with the upper hand, but a team of soldiers, maybe iron grenadiers swarm Duke and dogpile him. Duke is convinced Mars built Starscream and Mercer's boss Destro tells Mercer to let him go as there's other ways to deal with Duke. Duke calls someone to inform of what happened. We don't know who's on the other end. So maybe it was Dr. Adele Burkhart. Maybe it was somebody else he knows. That's not quite clear in the book, but as he's making that phone call, he's convinced that he wasn't identified, and he returns to Burkhardt's place to find everyone there dead, and Burkhardt almost dead. She reveals someone from Australia infiltrated, and only two characters I can think of are Zartan and Major Blood. They stole everything but one thing, and she tells him to find the truth. As she speaks that, fake police bust in and try to kill Duke, or dirty police, try to kill Duke, who escapes upstairs and jumps out a window. Now he is on a mission to find the truth, like a zealot. The book closes out with Hawk confiding to CoverGirl that they need to clean up the mess he created, and they need to enlist more American heroes, and the final page shows Stalker and Rock and Roll little thoughts about the story jason before we go into yo's and no's well i i hate to be that guy but i'm just gonna be stupidly positive for the next like 15 minutes <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that so it's my favorite 
really this is your of the of the books well no i just meant no i meant being positive oh okay uh do you want then do you would you like to start with your yo's i think i think my biggest yo in this is how they come at this book as if the reader knows gi joe they're dropping easter eggs from day one man of action uh hawk is a colonel they do not use cover girl they don't even use courtney they use her last name you know someone from australia uh you know they don't they don't name destro they didn't even name mercer until you he's been on page for three or he's been on three pages before they even name mercer uh, you know they hide the bats down in the little corner of the mars warehouse it's just there's so much going on that i miss the bats i gotta i'm gonna have to look at that again that's that's awesome yeah and then in even even what they showed in transformers number two and then they just did the flashback here. Duke has a little jetpack, which is a good callback to the mail away hawk. You know, there's so much <laughs> in this that is just like, you know, G.I. Joe, it's fine. We're not going to spoon it to you. Here's a cool story. And you're right in the world. Um, seeing Adele Burkhart, I, you know, it, I, it's it was really joyful to read this book. Yeah, I, and I would say that when my my note, this is also I think the story was also one of was one of my positives. Uh, but to add to yours is while I felt that there was a lot of you know clever references, like we were talking about CoverGirl, you know they're using her last name, and they don't name off everything that you see. But the one thing I said about the story was that that this is also a story where if you really don't know anything about G.I. Joe, it is also written in such a way that it's not off-putting, where you need to know 40 years of a real American hero lore or 40 years of a toy line. So you can Agreed. discover things through this book as if you are a newcomer to G.I. Joe. So, you know, I wouldn't feel bad showing this to a tween and we might talk about that a little bit later, but you know, this would also be a book that you could give to a teenager and be like, here's a good comic book to read. And I think they would at least read it and give it a shot. And they'd be asking questions about what's going to happen next or what's this and what's that. So I think it, the story is written in such a way that it is inviting while still catering to us hardcore 40 something year old nerds uh i i have no disagreement with that it is truly accessible for everyone it is a good action story but for us those of us that are you know us it, <laughs> it's everything it, it it's everything it, it it really puts it right there um you know mercer mercer is not in mercer's outfit but you turn the page and you see him and you know who that is. I'm really digging this team. Now, I'm also like a really big fan of uh, Jody's colors. And I've known about her work for a long time. So when I saw that she was on the cover, I got very excited. I was not aware of... 
I was not aware of Joshua Williamson, but I think he's done a great job. And then at the back of the book, when I read his write-up, I immediately went and followed him on all the social medias and was excited by everything he talked about. So it feels like this is in good hands of people that aren't just wanting to make it financially successful, but also narratively successful and hearts and minds successful. Right. So, because one thing about Josh Williamson, um, I was reading an interview with him today. I can't remember what site it was. It was, you know, I was, you know, doom scrolling on Facebook on my lunch break. And he talks about a little bit about going with G.I. Joe, but he started talking about how he approaches character and character story. And uh, the one thing is, I am not a big reader of DC Comics, but apparently he's done a lot of good work with some of the core characters in DC. So obviously, if the people at DC and the readers of DC are digging him, that there's a good chance that me being a newcomer to him and his writings, you know, that's a good chance that he might write something that I'll dig and resonate with as well. So I guess I'll go with one of my yo's and I'm going to talk about uh, Tom Riley's art. I think his layouts are absolutely awesome. The story again, doesn't plod. It moves from scene to scene Gives me that urgency to turn the page. What's next? Working well within the script. And I also love the style he brings. To me, it's reminiscent of Chris Samney or David Aha, where he knows where to put the lines, where to draw the, you know, put the ink um, and leave room for uh, Jody Belair's colors. I'm really digging the the whole art. I'm digging the vibe of the art. It's um, it's fre- it's contemporary, so it isn't, and it gives it its own flavor that's different than the real American Hero book with Mooneyham's lines. You know something that when you talk about how much, um, how how well this book moves, it's interesting because it doesn't move any slower than the Transformers number three. But it is, I mean, diametrically opposite in terms of pacing and tone. It's such a quiet book with explosive moments, whereas Transformers was an explosive book with zero quiet moments or maybe like one quiet panel. <laughs> um, and and so it's, it's interesting that they've been able to make it move and pace so well between a couple high intensity action and then a, just a lot of quiet moments. And even with two full double page spreads, it doesn't feel like you've been robbed of pages or panels, you know? Agreed. So Jason, do you have another yo you would like to share with the group? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that's another point. I apologize. No, that's fine. <clears throat> uh, yeah, one of the one of the things that I really like the, about this is that this Duke, at least what we've seen so far, not necessarily with him going off 
grid as a conspiracy theorist or, you know, actually having seen the robot, but him working with Adele and dropping into the Mars building and all of that, it, it felt like a nice bridge between what Blaylock and DDP did when they were like, oh, in this uh, interim, he was Black Ops. And it's kind of just like Black Ops. And then it's a good bridge between that and what we saw in like Sunbow, where he was constantly kind of in the mix on his own. Um, so it made it a bit more of an accessible, I guess, with quotations, Black Ops for me, uh, which I love that concept for Duke. But I think having him a little more rogue and wild and but just willing to get his hands dirty is a lot of fun. Yeah, I was I was hoping you were going to say that about, you know, Devil's Due and the Black Ops thing, Um, because that was one thing that they did set up very early on in the book. You know, he was the best, you know, he was main of action and when they're doing that. But when he did, when he did do you know, the covert infiltration, it didn't feel at that point out of character. Um, number right. one, because we really don't know, this is our introduction to the character of Duke, but the fact that it wasn't, um, it wasn't like something that came out of left field, like, Oh, he's the best, but he can do this and he can do that. It was like, it was a very tactical infiltration. It was a, like, it was a quiet page of him disabling the cameras and, watching his back to get in, to get into the warehouse or the factory floor. And like, like you said, I was just like, it was great to see this side of Duke, which is not present in, in Hama's story at all. But again, was a character trait that was first introduced to us 23 years ago at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that is a lot of fun to see as him being a capable solo operator, um, but also being someone who works well with the team and is a leader who can drive, can drive the story that way. I'm excited to see where they take it once they bring him back into the fold. Um, having him on the run like this is a little bit of GI Joe renegades. Uh, <laughs> So maybe we'll get a little A-team action, but I like that cartoon, so that's not a complaint. I'm I'm enjoying where they're starting Duke. So another one of my positives, the one of my yos, is is the uh, the character design. So yes, the character design is very heavily influenced by the current toy line GI Joe Classified series now available on your shelves available for purchase online on Hasbro Pulse as well. This was not a paid advertisement, but it just, it's a toy book and I'm reading it and I'm seeing the figures on, you know, I'm seeing the classified figures in the book and it's like, it's a toy book. And there's just a part of me that's just like, thank goodness we're still trying to sell toys (laughs) using comic books. Um, and, uh, that, that, that did that, that warmed the, uh, 
the cockles of my heart. I would love to have this Mercer as an action figure. I would love to have Infiltration Duke as an action figure. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good here. I mean, having that statuesque hawk would be great. I mean, I love the hawk we have, but having him in his full, like, in his full uniform with all the stuff on his chest, all of his medals and things, there are some, there's some character designs in here that I would love to see them put into the real world as an action figure, even though, um, well, you know, you we're only first issue in. Well, I have all the classifieds, but that's not really the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it is, it is fun. It's a, it's a toy book. Um, and I love that. Uh, yeah. Do you have any, any nose on this book? I only yes. have one. I only have really one, again, picnic. What is your one? Cause I'm curious if we're, if we're equal here. The 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 fake when the fake police are looking out the window like no one could have survived that, and I'm just like oh my god you guys are so incompetent, <laughs> like this book is so it was just like the only place it's like dummy just go down and check, it's like do a okay, sweep so- of the area, you know <laughs> nobody's dead until you find the body and then the guy puts his right. hand on his neck and then he says Duke's in a coma oh. I- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so ours are not the same. Um, oh, okay. But that is great. I didn't even consider that. That is, Duke should be in a coma. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Did you take a twig through the heart? I just <laughs> landed on a little uh, gardener snake. <laughs> no. um, yeah, coming soon to the toy aisle, the G.I. Joe Classified Series Garter Snake Vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my. So my, my nose, um, there's just two of them. They're very small, like yours. The first is when Hawk references Duke's brother. I could not have rolled my eyes harder. I don't want to see Falcon being the shiftless stepbrother. It's garbage. It was garbage in the movie, which I love. I mean, Falcon is a an elite trooper who then joined an even more elite squad. I don't buy it. I don't like it. It's dumb. Uh, so him referencing the brother, I was just like, I was out. The second was Duke is beyond competent. He just infiltrated. He just was let go, and he's on the phone. He's like, they have no way to identify me. They just let me go. Weird. Like, well, that was a really incompetent moment for Duke when everything else has been so highly competent. And that felt flat to me. That said, those are very small moments. And what happens after that bit of phone conversation was right back into the thick of things. And it was a very quiet moment that became a very explosive one and then ended with your nitpick. So, um, those are the only no's I had. Everything else I have for this is a yo. Uh, yeah. I noticed we didn't even mention the mass device. Yeah, I did. I, meant, I thought I mentioned that in my uh, did, plot summary. 
I'm, I'm looking you? at my plot summary right now. It's right there in it. Well, then you can you can edit that right out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll no leave but it like in. there, I just meant there's so much in here that there's so much in here. There's so many little things in here for us. It's accessible for everyone. It's a nice quick read, but if you slow down, there's some beautiful artwork, and you can really chew through this. I'm sure someone could. Um, give a full panel by panel explanation of the art. But for me, I read it four times because after the first two, I was like, well, I got to read this again. And then of course, when you were like, Hey, let's do this. I had to read it a fourth time. And I <laughs> yeah. not once throughout that read, did I go, I'm bored. I'll just skip this page or I'll skim. It is. It's a very engaging book. It is a wonderful book. The only thing I have, I didn't want to really put it as a no, but I have an ongoing concern because a lot of times, you know, the G.I. Joe and Transformers, when they've teamed up in a common story, it's only been for a limited time. And this Energon universe is going to be an ongoing thing. My only concern is with the focus on Energon and just the massive physically and just storytelling-wise presence of the Transformers, I my one concern is, as a G.I. Joe fan, and I gotta, you know, I'm going to be a little bit selfish here, and I do know that there's another G.I. Joe book, which we are going to talk about in a little bit, is I worry about the weight of the presence of the Transformers will influence the storytelling in the G.I. Joe books versus... I don't think the G.I. Joe storytelling will have a similar weight slash impact on the Transformers books because we've already seen the Transformers influence the Boyd Rivals book. So, I mean, I'm really hoping to get payload, you know, and effects up into space to start dealing with those guys soon. So that's that's my one concern because I don't, this Energon universe, you know, that's to me, that's transformer centric. It's a nice name, but it doesn't reek of sharing with me. You know, it's a sure. little, but I'm not going to let that spoil my enjoyment of this book. No, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, it's called the Energon. So GI Joe is an add on to that. I don't mind it because I see how adult or teen or just brutal and graphic the Energon universe is going to be. And that's fine for G.I. Joe to have those kind of stories. But G.I. Joe doesn't have the breadth that Transformers has. So it would be nice to have something that brings in kids, not just teenagers and adults. Um, and also, like we just saw what a saw. We just saw what a saw or a shotgun or a handgun <laughs> does to a Transformer. Nothing. So, you know, Roblox going to step out with his Ma Deuce and dent a Transformer. <laughs> it's interesting. It's, but it's always interesting when we have these two team ups, right? They're, they're not, they're not on a level playing field. That said, it'll be fun. I'm excited by it. And as long as these, these people at Skybound who are working on it today, seem to be genuine fans and want to be a good steward, then I think we're going to have good storytelling, even though, yes, um, G.I. Joe might be the 
you know, the 40% or the 30% in this Energon universe. That said, you know, there's always room for another G.I. Joe book or another short run, you know, oh, all the lore stuff, um, you know, the hearts and minds stuff from, from Brooks. I mean, there's always room for that kind of thing. And if this is successful, that gives us room and it brings in readers who are excited by Duke and Cobra Commander number one and number two and three to maybe pick up the next thing or to pick up Larry's because, you know, I think, I think GI Joe is the smaller brand right now, just worldwide, like it or not, the Bayverse did wonders for Transformers viability and its shelf life. Sorry, I didn't mean to take it negative. <laughs> no, no, that's uh, it, these are very fair points. And like I said, I'm coming at it as a selfish G.I. Joe fan. I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to lie and be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm only trying to be fair for the branding and blah, blah, blah. No, I'm selfish. You know, I like G.I. Joe. You know, you like G.I. Joe. You, you know, and you, you're fortunate you have somebody that, you know, your son in your life that also loves G.I. Joe and loves Transformers and loves Star Wars. So he wants all this stuff too. Yeah. And uh, my, my only, my only sad moment is the fact that right now, um, and it was in the letters pages, Skybound isn't going to be doing anything with mask. They're not going to do anything with ROM. They weren't asked about Micronauts, but I'm going to assume that they don't have anything to do with Micronauts. And uh, you know, I think you and your son are much more mask fans, but I'm a huge ROM fan and I would love sure. to see more ROM. <laughs> well, um, are you familiar? Are you aware of the, the, the trade, the omnibuses that are coming out for Micronauts and ROM? Yes. Yeah. The ROMnibus. Uh, I have, I have yeah. both, I have both of them on pre-order right now. Okay. Same. So yeah. I also pre-ordered the Micronauts. Uh, was that the one that it was? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. I've, I've pre-ordered all that because you have to. You have yeah. to. And I might I might pick up the Micronauts when it gets into the shop. I might pick that one up because I've never been exposed to Micronauts. So but apparently it was a good apparently it was a good series. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a good series. And 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 I like them and I like ROM, but they're not in my top ten, my top fives or whatever. Uh, and I love Transformers. I very much love Transformers, but Transformers ain't no G.I. Joe. So in terms of a selfish G.I. Joe person, I mean, I'm lockstep with you. Like we're arm in arm on that march. Uh, you know, I'm excited for the Energon universe, but I would have been more excited for a Yojo universe that the Transformers were a part of. <laughs> Amen to that. All right. So I think I think we can leave the Energon universe behind. And go to the Hamaverse with G.I. Joe, a real American hero, 302. And you did a much better um, transition than I did. That was real. I, I tried to sneak one in there on you. <laughs> I appreciate the assistance. Uh, so G.I. Joe, a real American hero is written by this nobody named Larry Hama, uh, this guy that we've never heard of, Chris Mooneyham and Francesco Sagala. No, no, that's all in joking and all in good fun. You know, Larry Hama, the writer, the artist, Chris Mooneyham, colorist, Francesco Sagala, 
letterer Pat Rousseau must have given Russ Wooten a break. And, uh, you know, the main cover is by Andy Kubert. The plot synopsis. Well, the plot synopsis starts on Cobra Island with the mutant zombies reigning chaos on the island, where then they question what's going on with Serpentor, and Serpentor promptly puts them in their place by shooting the questioning mutant zombie in the head, in which now it's feeding time for all the other mutant zombies on the island. He announces that they're going to be moving to Springfield after a zombie on a little jazzy motor scooter asks him the question. We cut away to Arlington National Cemetery where the Joes are laying to rest, Wade Collins. And it's a somber four-page funeral with only one page of dialogue. But it is very sparse dialogue. It is very somber. It is um, told dramatically and with pause. Then we move to the Springfield Community Center where Cobra Commander is trying to prepare the, his residence of Serpentor's eventual takeover or attempt of takeover of Springfield. And then we get a, a nice two-thirds page uh, view of the Cobra transport helicopters. With that, as he's reinforcing Springfield, the Revanche HQ in New Jersey, uh, this book does bounce around. We get the Blue Ninjas assessing what's been happening in the book. We move back to the pit in Utah where we get a little bit of background of who Wade Collins is or was and uh, where people realize that um, Wade Collins, originally from G.I. Joe 42, introduced to us as Crimson Guardsman Fred II. We explained, it explains how the villain became one of the heroes and why his death means something. So for any new readers that are picking up G.I. Joe, a real American hero for the first time in decades, potentially, gets them caught up on the story. The Joes are getting prepared. They're filling themselves on intel from Cobra Island. And then we close out in the Sierra Mountains with Scarlet and Snake Eyes. We're Scarlet and Snake Eyes cooking dinner where Timber brings one of his cubs over to Snake Eyes so that they may become acquainted. And we close out with Snake Eyes' first words in a comic book since issue 102. Scarlet, I want to tell you and she shushes him and that closes out the the issue and uh jason how did you feel about the story on this one i guess this is where i'm the downer because it's all right (laughs) i mean uh this is the one that falls flat for me and and I hate saying it. I mean, I love a real American hero. Um, and after 300 issues, you have a lot of ups and downs. It's so much easier to be 
wild and impactful with a number one that it is to be with a 302. So it's unfair to put it up against Transformers number three and Duke number one. So those are young books ready to go firing. And this is the 302nd book. Um, so, but you know, the zombie thing, I don't care about. Um, the way Collins thing I think is deeply beautiful and, and I love that kind of storytelling from, from Larry. I love that in the first few pages with the, he's, he's balancing zombie with comedy. And then at the end with Scarlet, um, actually most of Scarlet's dialogue in this are, is bad. Um, or just not for me, I guess. So that's a whole lot of no's right up front. Um, so can you save this for me? Can you, was this a hit for you? Were you- this to me, this is a classic pause issue where you that's just fair, had a, yes. you just had a very, um, I felt issue 301 hit on all the cylinders. It was, you know, it was running. It was, it was guns blazing and it ended unfortunately with Wade Collins death, which is kind of a, which is a huge down note. Whenever mm-hmm. you take a character, um, especially one that's been around a very long time and, you know, and they're killed off. And we know that for the most part in G.I. Joe, a real American hero, characters stay dead for the most part. For the most part. <laughs> if they, especially if they don't have an action figure. So I don't think there's going to be a J.I. Joe classified Wade Collins uh, coming to a store near you. Sure. <laughs> but well, we already have the Sean Collins classified, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> no, it, you're right. It is a pause. But I think, you know, we just had a year pause and we don't need a pause after the sec, you know, one issue back in our hands. And I guess maybe that's why it falls flat to me because you are you're right. It is a classic pause. And me not caring about zombies doesn't mean it's bad writing. It's just I don't personally care about zombies. Right. And I think that's also a reflection of Hama's approach to storytelling, which is character first, plot second. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of modern writers, and this is nothing against Hama, um, but with the pause of the funeral and the goings on there would have been balanced out with a plot point of action, maybe maybe this would be after Serpenter announced that they're invading Springfield, you have the funeral and then you move to Cobra commander. You forget the blue ninja thing. The blue ninja thing to me is, is attack on. Yeah. It's a, it's attack on at this point. I don't mind the blue ninjas. I just mind the fact that we got two pages, which didn't really add anything to other character moments that could have happened. We okay. could have had, Cobra Commander says, hey, everybody, I think Serpenter's coming. And then a co- after a couple pages of that, Serpenter's coming. Yeah. You know, like one of Hama's strongest suits is also probably one of his, in a comic book sense and in a storytelling sense is, you know, he likes to keep it realistic. So how fast would the zombie horde get on boats and float up to Springfield, whereas I think a lot of other writers have been like, you know, logic be damned. And let's get the story moving after we've just had this somber note. 
And yeah. I think the Scarlet and Snake Eyes thing would have been like, would have been a two word, uh, been like a balloon, like, oh, geez, well, where did Scarlet and Snake Eyes take off to? Oh, I think they went off to have some alone time, you know, scene change, you know, and yeah. they, and that maybe didn't need to be in there as well. This has been said before on my podcast and other podcasts. Hama is going to do what Hama is going to do. And people are letting him just do it. And I don't think, I know that there's definitely an editorial conversation going on with Hama or else this book wouldn't be coming out at all. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because Hama is still a master of his craft. He's still like, he wrote very quickly page three. He's showing you like, this is now with Skybound. There are the rules are different. I think the first three pages with the with Serpentor and the zombies is fun. I love the work he did in there, and I love I love Mooneyham's art. Mooneyham's art's great, and I, and that's why I said like they're balancing zombies with comedy, so it is fun. But you know, like the shooting the guy in the head and the gurgle gurgle and the just the unnecessary amount of like gore on page three which is kind of a hey guys we're at skybound now this is different now yeah. so it's interesting uh i thought you know the funeral is beautiful you know rain on a funeral is played out in tropy as hell but a funeral where it's nice bright and sunny doesn't play the same so you got to have the rain the returning to the wall which is where they met wade you know, back in the eighties and was interesting. I, I didn't expect it. I think it's beautiful, but you know, Vietnam vets are in their seventies now, not uh, still on elite squads. So I just didn't <laughs> expect it because I know a lot of the times they don't say, you know, Vietnam anymore. They say, you know, Southeast Asian and yeah. Yeah. And, and that's part of the, you know, that's unfortunately, you know, the sliding scale rule of comics, yeah. you know, Peter using cell phones, but yeah, Peter Parker's in college, but <laughs> yeah, you read any of the old comic books, you just look at the backgrounds, you look at the other things that are that fill that those worlds are very dated by those times. Yeah, but obviously your characters don't grow up. But again, sliding scales of aging. You know, Dawn Moreno went from fifteen to she's over eighteen because she completed basic training right. in. 13 days. <laughs> yeah. But in the, over the course of 60 issues and then, you know, right. Scarlet stays the same and they revived the humunculus and made him snake eyes. Right. You know, so the comic books have a weird sliding scale and I don't fault Hama for using that at all. Well, right. And that's what, this is not a negative. Like I was just surprised and I like it. I think it's beautiful that they used it because it is, a, I mean, it's a, it's a direct callback to, how he showed up in the comics because he showed up at the wall, right? He, you know, there was all these things. No, because you know when his first appearance is on the Staten Island ferry when he attacks oh, yes. when he attacks Scarlet and Snake Eyes. That is true, but he doesn't become a character to us until the wall. Correct. So maybe that's why I'm I'm spacing on the on the ferry. So thank you for correcting that. No, I'm not trying. Um, I'm not trying to be uber nerd, but it was just like no, I'm just. I'm I like thinking, uber nerd. I'm thinking of different story beats, and that's I, that's why we are having this conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, I like I like uber uber nerd, and I appreciate 100. Uh, percent 
Uh, one of the other things that that Larry does really fun is Cobra Commander in this. You know, he's recounting his his travel back to Spring Springfield, and as soon as people start worrying about their families, he's like, "Shut up, shut up, listen to me. This is more important." And it's classic Cobra Commander from like the early issues, Cobra Commander, or from when he returned and you know blows up the freighter Cobra Commander. Oh. It's calling back to that level of Cobra Commander where it's like, "You're, yeah, yeah, what you're saying is important, but shut up." <laughs> I have something to say and it's more important and that's good demagogue it's a good cover commander and I like it I really liked that bit of it because it reminded me of so much cover commander that's not standing in the back or sniveling or you know what I mean it's it's selfish cover commander that's about to throw people at an enemy would you, so and would you I, say Cobra Commander is one of your yo's for this issue? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, the funeral is a yo. The wall is a yo. Cobra Commander is a yo. I have a lot of yo's for this sh- this book, even though it wasn't my favorite read. Uh, and that's and that's a fair assessment. You know, this is. It's still a good, it's a strong read, but it's just after you go after the action-packed Transformers and Duke, which we talked about, and then you end on this book, which is like, uh, you know, yeah. I, I'm, and I wanted to end it because I am, you know, this is my, this is, I've always said, G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, come hell or high water, this is, this will always be in my pull pile. I'm never going Absolutely. to not buy it. Well, not just that, but a Real American Hero is the canon it informs my universe everything else is a fun universe or my head canon but a real american hero is gi joe and i know there are sunbow kids that are like nope the cartoon but you know i'm a comic kid so i disagree yeah i love the cartoon but i love the cartoon the same way as i love anything else that's not larry's run and so i don't expect i am not entitled to love all 302 issues <laughs> I am just thankful that I love 80 to 90% of 302 issues. I love most, even in an issue that I don't care for, I have numerous things that I like it within it. Even if I don't like something like zombies or revanche, I'm going to enjoy parts of that, right? Like the comedy in the zombie part or there, are, you know, whatever comes next with the zombies. We'll see. To me, it feels like he's leading up to another Cobra Civil War so we can kill off Serpentor again and do it a little more brutally and a little more finally because it's a zombie now and the rules are different. Yeah, and you know he's he gets to play with a different trope and I think Serpentor's his favorite punching bag. I, it's almost <laughs> like, you know what, here's a guy I didn't really create and I've never really been a huge fan of, but he's a clone so I can always kill him and bring him back. So he's he's got this way to con- constantly uh, recycle the character and bring him back new, like a recurring, like Kang in the Marvel universe, you know, now, now that he's not in the Marvel cinematic universe anymore, but you know, there's always these variants. So there can, you can kill a Kang and then there'll be Kang will come back. You know, here it's yeah. like you kill a Serpentor. Well, you know, the secret's out. You, we know how to create another Serpentor and it's just going to be another variation on a theme. And, 
it allows like with Serpentor Khan, he can be fresh. He can be a different, you know, Serpentor, you know, 2.0, 3.0 and be, have similar character traits, but be a different character and be a different threat in different ways. Yeah. It, that's where I think he is still a master of his craft and a master at the words he's building a bunch of things here and not all of them will go somewhere. Some of them will be recalled in 40 issues. Some of them will <laughs> never be recalled. He is able to touch on politics with a nuanced hand, right? Like um, when he's talking about, when he's talking about Wade, when they're like, well, why would a Crimson Guardman get, you know, an honorable burial? And he doesn't, he doesn't outright say, you know, when people came, when soldiers came home from Vietnam, they were spit on because the American people had a negative view of that war and that veterans were distrusted. He says Wade was, was dangerous, was felt dangerous. You know, he, he just, he didn't come out and say it with a bold yes, hammer fist. He was nuanced about it, but he still got the point across that at that period in American history, veterans were seen in a different light than they were seen just 10 years later, 20 years later today. And this is what drove someone like Wade into the arms of Cobra. And I think that subtle touch is where Larry, over the years and years and years of writing and his own personal experience with that war, he can deliver that in a way that a lot of modern writers just wouldn't do. So, as I said, like I still have a lot of yo's in this book. <laughs> no, and that's good. I think you saved the book yourself. You you reached out to me to say, Gary, save the book. But I think you did a very good job of you know redeeming it in your own words. I really don't really have too many. I don't want to really even go into no's because again, this is a it's a quieter book. Um, you know, the, like I said, my biggest no is I don't, I think the revanche, the blue ninjas was unnecessary. Yeah. Um, it's like, good. They're still watching things. You can do that later. You know, you know, he lives in a world of constant retcon. You could retcon in. Oh yeah. We've been watching for 50 issues, a hundred issues. Yeah. Uh, 200 issues go by. Yeah. We've been watching you guys for all this time. That's fine by me. Um, I don't like the, I like them when they're engaged, like when they first brought in the blue ninjas and, you know, they had those fiber filament swords. I liked it. I like that level of sci-fi. I like the level of, mm -hmm. you know, I like the engagement, but once they became this like Borg collective, it's a, I kind of withdrew a little bit from that, um, from those characters. Yeah. But I'm really invested now with how he closed it with this new snake eyes, this new uh, talky snake eyes, um, <laughs> because it'd be great to finally put some words to actions. And I'm also happy that we've gone a whole issue. We've gone two whole issues and snake eyes has managed to keep his face safe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the, the thing that, the thing that bugged me with that was that, Scarlet being like grossed out by killing a rabbit. She's a soldier who's seen war forever and she's lived in the mountains with him before. 
And then the not now, it could have just been, I know. You know, she could have pulled the Han Solo. Instead of a not now, she could have been, I know. You know? Um, and I think it would have landed better for me. But seeing him back, I, I'm curious where it's, where it's going to go. And if they're going to address memory gaps, if they're going to address downloading memories out of Dawn or out of Sean, you know, you know what I mean? There's so much still there sci-fi wise that they can do. And then into the psychological trauma of him knowing that a, I'm a clone B I died and C you were sleeping with a clone of your husband, boyfriend, paramour, not, <laughs> you know, like you never moved on after all this time. So are you with me only because I'm a clone or do you love me? Is it only him that you love? There's so much he could do there. I don't know if he will or not, but I'm I'm interested in seeing where he takes Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes being silent has been the way he could describe the whole universe to us. So now that Snake Eyes can talk. I don't know. Well, we have Throwdown that can't talk. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. That's how we could explain it to Throwdown. Will Throwdown even stay on the team? You know, like, do we need three Snake Eyes now? What's ha- what's going to happen to Sean and Dawn? Well, does this become like it splits up, like where we get three G.I. Joe Real American Hero books? <laughs> Each one gets, right. you know, it's like like the X-Men, like the X titles, you know? Yeah. And I've always thought that, you know, and they did it for a while in the 80s. It supported two books for two over two years. I would love another special missions. Oh, that would be so good. I, I would love to talk to uh, Joe Malone from Joe on Joe. Cause he is so ingrained. I would love to find out why he knows that anthology series don't last because to me, a team book like GI Joe with a huge team, I think a team, uh, an anthology series, I would read the hell out of it. I would too, but who else? So yeah. Then again, we've already said we're we're arm in arm on this march. <laughs> so right. I, I'm excited, even though like 302 fell flat for me, and I really didn't. I as as we go through it, I'm finding all these pieces that I enjoyed, even though as a whole I didn't. Which I know is weird, but I'm still interested in where it goes in 303, and you know, will zombies still be around at 320? You know. Um, what comes after the zombies? I'm still invested. I'm still interested. I still trust Larry. So even when I have a piece that I don't like, it's kind of like, um, you know, if you if you made a meal and put a piece of food on it that I didn't like, but I trust your cooking, I'm still going to eat that piece of food. And, and that's how 302 feels to me. Is like, I love this whole meal, but there's parts of it that I'm like, I don't care about, but I'll still eat it because I trust you as a cook. I know the next course and the course after that are going to continue to build and be good. I know that's a weird, no. really labored uh, <laughs> analogy. Yes. <laughs> but it works. And uh, I think overall, um, to close this out, I really think December was a great month for G.I. Joe and Energon and Skybound Comics. Looking forward to January. I'm looking forward to doing you know, a monthly review of all the comics. Um, it's a new way for me to, you know, bring into 2024 and to, uh, 
do something new and to grow um, and to have conversations like this. So thanks for coming on, Jason. Oh, thank you for having me. I, I mean, we talk regularly anyway, so this time we just turn on the mics. Yeah, no. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, Jason, for anybody that doesn't already know, if you would like to give out your uh, details for Order of Battle Pod and... Sure. Yeah, the Order of Battle Podcast is closing in on four years old, five, I don't know. We've been around for a little bit. It's Joel and I, he's a four inch guy. I'm a three and three quarter. We both dabble with six. He manages the Instagram, so Order of Battle Pod, and I, the Twitter, Order of Battle PD. And we do not have a Facebook group, so reach out to us on one of those or find us hanging out with Gary. <laughs> and anywhere, any podcatcher, uh, you just search for Order of Battle Pod, you'll find them, and you'll be able to find some great conversations with, again, like I said earlier, first thing all manner of people. And I do, I listen to everyone and, uh, I learn quite a bit and I enjoy all of it. Yeah. One of our, one of my personal 2024 hopes is that a gets back involved at a larger level. He's been slacking on us for a while. So it's just been Joel and I and some guests lately. We need more, uh, kid voice. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and that's something that, you know, other kids need to hear too. Yeah. And speaking of 2024 goals, I'm excited to hear what you do in this upcoming year. And I'm glad that I could start the year off with you. So thank you. Yeah, great. Um, yeah. So if, you're lis- if you've listened to the this podcast, thanks for joining us. Uh, if you've gotten this far and feel free to rate and review wherever you listen to it um, on all the major podcasters. And thanks to Spotify for hosting the Chaps and Sisters Motor Pod. I'm Gary. You can find me on social media at Chaplain Joe Pod on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, formerly X. You can look, search for me on uh, Blue Sky and Threads. But mostly I do postings on Facebook and Twitter and, uh, and sometimes Instagram as well. I've been going over opening some toys over the holiday season. I had some time off. So I got to open up some damaged boxes and damaged cards. So you can see more of me there as well. And also, if you'd like to support the show or communicate, chaplainjoepod at gmail.com. If you email me, you could also potentially get a t-shirt. I currently have all sizes available, but it is always dependent on current inventory as well. The Chaplain's Associates Motor Pod is the strange, but not estranged, nerdy little brother of the pint, a pop culture podcast. And with all of that out of the way, one final missile for the masses, be decent to each other. See you, Jason. Thank you, Gary.